episode 57 of If These Walls, in which we talk about why do I hate country music, is best paired with a beer for your horses and the song Keep on the Sunny Side by the Carters. Hey, Audrey. How you doing today? Well, I got my girl, I got my cold beer, and I reckon I'm dandy. Y- you reckon? I reckon. Hard day's work and these dogs are barking. Audrey, are you... Have you gone country? <laughs> like my grandpappy and my pappy, I sure do love a country tune. Fascinating. If you say you don't like country music, then I reckon your britches are on fire. I I don't like country music. Well, now I reckon I'm as sad as a squish turn up under a wagon wheel. Welcome to If These Walls, a storytelling podcast. A storytelling podcast about the parts of history and culture that make us more human and define our world and our own lives. Each week, we share real stories and tell tales, famous, infamous, or unknown, that fall under our interpretations about a specific a theme. This week, Elena has chosen a very important topic of personal discussion and understanding. Why do I hate country music? Excuse me. You hate what now? I'm sorry, babe. I actually love that you love country music. I'm not trying to yuck your yum. As you may have noticed, we have a much deeper-voiced guest this week. Ladies and gentlefolks, please welcome Mr. Derek Gavorchik, who will be loaning us his deeply pleasing voice this week to recite some country lyrics, and maybe we can even convince him to share his own love of country music. Despite his deeply Polish background, this boy's got denim stirrups in his blood, I guess, or something country to that effect. While his girlfriend decimates the genre, right in front of us. Derek, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Happy to help, ladies. I'm a lady. So, Elena, why this now? Keep telling yourself that. Stir shit up. I want to make sure that I do slap a giant disclaimer sticker at the front of this episode because everything I say is 100% asshole and 100% my opinion and my opinion only. And you two, of course, will have a chance to defend yourselves because I know that you both love the country and I'm not trying to be an, well, no, I am trying to be an asshole. Never mind. Um, It's just personally not my vibe. And I'm very interested in using this podcast platform to work out why and specifically explore my own prejudices. Because even as I wrote this episode, I am still having problems pinpointing exactly what rubs me the wrong way. But... Before we get into that, I have another correction because goddammit, of course I do. This is now from two episodes, two episodes ago. Yeah. Two episodes ago. Yep. Okay. The name of the town in the England with the murder and the twins. It is Stoke on Trent, not Stroke on Trent. So I have one more joke for you. Are you ready for it? I think so. Okay. What did Hugh Grant say when he came upon the lead singer of Nine Inch Nails adding coal to a fire? Uh, um, 
Stoke-on-Trent. Pardon me, but are you masturbating, Trent? <laughs> I can't wait until three weeks from now, or three episodes <laughs> from now, rather, when we discovered that, in fact... Trent Reznor nope, likes don't to mas- build up there. Okay. Trent Reznor just the- likes to masturbate by the fire. No, I was just going to say if someone had a stroke during the Lenten season. Oh my God, stop. <laughs> he starts okay. the fire with his masturbation. There you go. Friction. Mm-hmm. Friction. Okay, correction done. On to the topic at hand. Let's start some shit. I hate country music. I have always hated it. And I always will. End of argument. That's it. That's the episode. That's the full episode. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Derek, you've been great. Yeah, this is awesome. Anyway, hate it until I don't, question mark. Because it turns out there actually is a lot that I like, or at least that I can appreciate, especially as I've gotten older. And this episode is not dedicated to the Dolly Partons, the Waylon Jennings, and Johnny Cash's of the world. My dislike centers more around the Toby Keiths of the world because country music is divisive and those sides generally mirror another well-known divisive topic, politics. It's impossible not to address this issue when speaking about country music. Its audience is, for the most part, largely a conservative base. After all, one of the ugliest episodes in modern country history was the backlash that the Chicks, formerly the Dixie Chicks, received after their public anti-Bush comments in 2003. So, Prior to the start of a recent meeting with friends and colleagues, I asked the folks in the room that were with me, do you like country music? Knowing well, full well that they did not. And if not, why? And no one in that room admitted to liking country or the genre as a whole. And although many pointed out the same exceptions that I did, Johnny Cash, early 90s country, female country singer specifically. And for the most part, I can agree with that. That is like the entirety of what I do like about country. Correct. Yes. So the the reasons that were cited among the group as a whole were the forced twang adopted by most country singers, some of whom aren't even from the South, the forced patriotism in the message of the songs and the subject matter in general, and the overly produced nature of many pop country and honestly pop in general songs. For some reason, it's harder to stomach with country, though. It's because you can tell that it's over, like there's something distinctly urban and corporate about like oversynthesized pop music. It's okay if it comes out of like a bubblegum poppy. I'm in the city and this is my club music. It feels weird if you're also adding a down-home twang to a very highly produced style. Does that make sense? Yes. That's what down I Down-home twang. Mm-hmm. I'm from Chicago. Okay. I'm from the deep south of Canada. And I am on board with all of these. Um, One person in the room suggested, maybe it's just modern male country singers that I don't like. And to be honest, same. As a meme that I recently scrolled across, so astutely put it, why is male country music like hot girls in teeny tiny shorts? I will make you my wife, bear my children, front porch family values casseroles. And female country music is like, oops, I killed my husband. (laughs) You know what? I'll buy both those albums. (laughs) I saw, I saw that meme and the first and best comment was the second question answered the first question, <laughs> which is very true. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I forced myself to think deeper and 
again, tap into some of my own prejudices to answer the question, why do I hate country music? A friend made the very astute point that country music's greatest strength can also be its Achilles heel. Country music is presented without pretension. So is it this lack of depth and meaning that turns me on? No, it doesn't turn me on. It turns me off. Turns me me on a little bit. Freudian slip. I was looking at it there. Maybe. Because life is much more than I worked a hard day. I deserve a beer and also give my horse a beer too. But why do lyrics like that make me so angry? And I think maybe part of it is that I just don't buy this act that is being sold to me. I don't believe that all men and women because there are only two genders in country music, of course, fit into these very specific boxes that most songs like to put them in. It's too easy. So allow me to lay out what I believe are my biggest issues. Number one, I got sexism in low places. I swear for God, if you come for Garth Brooks, I will give you the backside of my frying hand. I don't. I promise. I would never. You wouldn't, you're about to. Okay. I would come for Chris Gaines, not Garth Brooks. You know what? That's fair. Country music prolongs toxic gender norms. Yes. I know that country music is not the only genre that does this, but it does it in a way that makes me very angry because at face value, so many of these songs sound sweet. I love her because she's beautiful. If you'll be my soft and sweet, I'll be your strong and steady. The majority of modern male country stars seem to be smart enough to stay away from the barefoot and pregnant narrative, but it doesn't mean that they don't find new and innovative ways to reinforce old stereotypes. Kenny Chesney has a song called Out Last Night, in which he showcases the number of drunken lies he told in order to get women into bed. Derek, if you please. Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm a music man. I grew up in East Tennessee, but last night I was everything when I got a few drinks in me. I was a doctor, a lawyer, a senator's son, Brad Pitt's brother, and a man on the run. Anything I thought would get the job done, yeah, we went out last night. One thing started leading to another out last night. Charming! I hate it. Gonna sing away the pain. Which would you be most likely to get with, though? The doctor, the lawyer, the senator's son, Brad Pitt's brother, or the man on the run? Brad Pitt's brother. Have you seen Shiloh Pitt Jolie? They have beautiful genetic traits. That person is is gorgeous. How old is Shiloh now? They're they're a teenager. Okay. So inappropriate. I would go for the man on the run, maybe, personally. So, yes, whatever you were going to say, yes, inappropriate. You're saying Shiloh or Silo? Shiloh. So I was like, that's where you keep all the corn. All the corn or all the power in a toxic workflow structure. And then (laughs) Shiloh is a lovable uh, beagle that a little boy saved one day. Did anybody read the book Shiloh as a child? I did. Shiloh the buff. Shiloh LaBeouf. That's actually a great um, drag name. Only if you spell it B-U-F-F. Shiloh LaBeouf. Oh, good one. Okay, mark it. Okay. Anyway, while researching, I came across the term bro country, which I had never heard before, and is exactly what it sounds like. So this is from an article in the Dallas Observer from 2014. 
quote, as the genre becomes more and more dominated by good old boys looking for a good time, the term bro country has increasingly been used by music critics to pejoratively describe some of the most popular artists in country music, like Brantley Gilbert, Luke Bryan, and Lee Bryce. I know one of those people. I know of one of those people. Same. So the article points out that Luke Bryan has six popular songs alone that have the word girl in the title, which... Though a phrase also embraced by many other subcultures and music genres, it is, at its core, infantilizing. And it's kind of weird for a 40-year-old man to call the woman he wants to have sex with his little girl. Oh, I don't like that. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. That hit me away. So the fact that I got Luke Bryan's autograph and met his family, his wife and kids, and it's kind of it's kind of weird now. Did he call you his little girl? I mean, he called his little girl his little girl. That's different. Does he also call his wife his little girl? I don't know what he called her. Can you call her and let me know? (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Derek. Number two. Country songs romanticize the good old days to an annoying degree. So Eric Church has a song. It is called Springsteen. And Derek was singing it. Very lovely. Lovely, beautifully, whatever. Some adverb the other day. And while he does a gorgeous rendition of it, it still annoyed me. <laughs> Derek. I was I was singing it very handsomely, I might add. <laughs> yes, that's a great adverb. Thank you. Uh this is this is gonna be challenging not to sing this because this is one of my favorites, obviously. Uh, but it goes when I think about you, I think about 17. I think about my old Jeep. I think about the stars in the sky. Funny how a melody sounds like a memory, like a soundtrack to a July Saturday night. A July Saturday night. I don't don't hate these lyrics. I don't know where the rhyme scheme is. I don't, I do think, go on and say the next line you're about to say, and then I'm going to continue my thought. Well, there's nothing inherently wrong with these. This is an example of one that is very subjective. This just rubs me the wrong way. So the boss did this himself with Glory Days. And uh, yes, that is the point of the song, obviously. But then why why even reference what you're referencing? Say what you're referencing and then do it poorly. That's my, I think that's my job is I know the song Glory Days. I know what this is about. You just did nothing with it. It was the equivalent of telling somebody a story that all of the story is, Hey, did you ever, did you ever hear about X and Y? Did you ever, did you ever see the, the, the finale of friends? And someone's like, yeah. And you're like, yeah. And that's the story. Yeah, you, you have a point. Um, and maybe I have some high school trauma that I've not fully dealt with. I'll report back. Cause my 20th high school reunion is in a few weeks. Um, but I have this intense hatred of hearkening back to the good old days. I did not enjoy my 17 year old days as much as these songs lead me to believe that I should have. I don't romanticize them again, terrified high school reunion. This may be the flimsiest of my reasons not to like country music. And it also probably points to something deeply embedded inside my own securities, but like, I don't, I, I remember happy things from high school, but I would never want to go back to them. It wasn't romantic. It wasn't fun. It was awkward. I plucked my eyebrows down to nothing. Nothing. Tryptophilia. Trichotillophilia. I just thought it looked cool. 
Oh, oh, you were part of that group. Yeah. Did you also overline your lips? I did have lip liner. Okay. So that's a yes. Yeah. I, I will say that the number 17 and thinking of Dina Lewis's strawberry wine at 17, I'm like, where did you get Franzia? I didn't have that at 17. <laughs> my first what? taste of love, you're 17. I didn't drink in high school. Maybe that was my problem. I was too good, I guess. I don't know. How did all these people have these like magical high school years that they fantasize enough to bite, write songs about as an adult? Can I, can I throw out a piece of conjecture here? Yes. Maybe it's not that those days were great. It's just that everything else is so shitty. <sighs> Strawberry wine. We don't have the money to pay for that. I got out two words. We're fine. Derek. Isn't Audrey being so existential right now? Sweet Bay One. <laughs> A little Tim and Eric. <laughs> All right. On to my next reason. Country can't even get ass songs right. One of the most celebrated song subjects of all time is the almighty ass. My body too bootylicious for you, babe. My anaconda don't want none unless you got buns, hun. Big, big booty. Yes, you got a big booty. Work. Shake your ass and the player is going to show some love. Shake, 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 shake your booty. Use a fine motherfucker. Won't you back that ass up? All I want to do is zoom, 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 and a poom, poom. Just shake your rump. Oh my God, Becky, look at her butt. Fat bottom girls. You make the rock and roll go round. Is that our cat screaming? Yeah, you hear. Her? Sorry. She just wants to what sing. What is she screaming? But that girl loves ass songs. The hot sound of ass serenading. It's just. She's right. like, I want to do a ziggy, 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 and a zig, zig. I guess. <laughs> anyway, it takes a fine wordsmith with a very firmly placed tongue in cheek to write and perform a great ass song. One that gets the folks on the dance floor throwing their keisters around in a circle while screaming the lyrics. I personally prefer my ass songs written by a gay man that loves cats, i.e. Freddie Mercury, but I appreciate anyone that can write a good bum ditty. Bum ditty. God Sorry, honest. I'm just I'm just struck by that. That's a great turn of phrase, Elena. TM, 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 trademarked. That person is not Trace Atkins. So I don't know if I've ever told you either of you this, but my, I spent several summers temping or working in offices between years in college, between years in high school, where country music was blasted full-time. That's where this hatred started. Um, And I survived barely. Um, But one of these jobs was in the early spring of 2006, and it coincided with the popularity of Trace Atkins' honky-tonk badonkadonk. It was a hit for the country star, peaking at number two on the country charts, but also solidly hitting the top 40 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 for some reason. So badonkadonk is hip hop slang, usually first credited to Missy Elliott and Keith Murray in the early 2000s. This is a long one, Derek. I apologize. The second verse and the chorus of Adkins hit song honky tonk badonkadonk goes. Now, honey. You can't blame her for what your mama gave her. It ain't right to hate her for working that money maker. <laughs> Band shuts down at two, but we're hanging out till three. 
We hate to see her go, but love to watch her leave. With that honky-tonk badonkadonk, keeping perfect rhythm, make you want to swing along. Got it going on like Donkey Kong. And hooey, shut my mouth, slap your grandma. There, there ought to be a law, get the sheriff on the phone. Lord have mercy, how'd she even get them britches on? With that honky tonk, badonka donk. <laughs> That's the hardest I've ever worked to be quiet in the duration of this podcast. It's somehow so much worse when it's not sung. <laughs> you had me at slap. shook my grandma. <laughs> oh Lord, have mercy! How she even get them britches on? Ooh. And yes, I get it. All ass songs are tasteless and ridiculous, but the classic ones, which are mostly rooted in hip hop and R&B, are still exciting, titillating. They're cheeky. But I'm No, I got all my laughs out. Also, how is the how is the cat all of a sudden upstairs? She was just screaming in the basement. Right? But those hip-hop, R&B, rock-ass songs are also sexy and fun. Whereas Honky Tonk Badonkadonk makes me drier than an August afternoon in the Sahara Desert. Oof. Sorry, Mom. All right. Reason number four. Me? You think it's funny. My mom is mortified. Number four. Toby Keith. This motherfucker. That, that's it. That's all I got for this one. You know what? I'm satisfied with that. So the subheading for this one is forced patriotism. As my friend Drew put it, Toby Keith's portrayal of Toby Keith is exactly what I hate the most about this forced patriotism in country music. So let's take a look at TK's response to the events of September 11th, 2001. Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list. And the Statue of Liberty started shaking her fist. And the eagle will fly, man. It's going to be hell when you hear Mother Freedom start ringing her bell. And it feels like the whole wide world is raining down on you. Brought to you courtesy of the red, white, and blue. Justice will be served and the battle will rage. This big dog will fight when you rattle his cage. And you'll be sorry that you mess with the U.S. of A. Because we'll put a boot in your ass. It's the American way. God, this is this is the whole reason I joined the Marine Corps right there. There is that stop it. It's so uh it's it it's just like bingo of got it, got it, got all the things. Murica, Murica. It's like you are missing one fuck cat Stevens, and then you have a complete American bingo. Yusuf Islam, okay. Natalie Maines of the Chicks, who was embroiled in a very public feud with Toby Keith after her aforementioned anti-Bush comment, said of this particular song, which is called Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue, The Angry American, I hate it. It's ignorant, and it makes country music sound ignorant. End of quote. It is just so tacky and deluded, and it is this view of America that I cannot stomach, especially after what we have been through over the last four to five years of American politics and what we are continuing to go through as we record this. 
This is such a problematic view of our country. It is nationalism. It's violent. It's ignorant, as Natalie said. And Toby Keith is a xenophobic redneck asshole just cashing in on one of the worst atrocities our country has ever seen. He has made millions off of this image of the angry American redneck and this message of American nationalism, while first responders that were there on 9-11 can't even get the benefits in healthcare that they should be entitled to. On one hand, you've got comedian and activist Jon Stewart, who has spent years of his life and a shitload of his own money fighting for the rights of these brave first responders, and he is written off by the right as a liberal, hard-on-his-sleeve, elitist asshole. And you've got disgusting, beer-swigging, red solo cup holding, probably smells like farts, axe, body spray, and fear, Toby Keith screaming, we're going to put a boot in your ass in front of crowds of Americans that just want someone to blame and force their hatred onto. And this piece of shit is arguably the most influential modern male country star. When I talk about hating country music, this is it in a nutshell. I hate this guy. I may love this bar, but I hate this guy. And guess what? His message sells. And yes, putting a boot in your ass may be the American way, but I look at that and I say, oh, that's awful. But Toby Keith is clearly 100% on board. And here's also the thing. First off, I know how well the claps read over the microphone. Thank you. Uh, Toby Keith is worth now officially over $500 million. So anything that he totes around of, of just consistently saying blue collar, this blue collar, that working hard for the belt and everything that's supposed to be this like yokel and scraping by is it's like, no, no, no. He's got Jay-Z money. Not Beyonce money, but he's got Jay-Z money. Yeah. Not Rihanna money. No. He's got Jay-Z money. She's a billionaire. So a couple articles that I read suggest that though courtesy of the red, white, and blue, maybe Keith's most well-known and often referenced song, it's not a true representation of what he can offer. But what else is he serving up? How do you like me now? A song about how he spends time as a famous rich adult country superstar hoping the girl that turned him down in high school is listening to his song on the radio and wishing she had given him a chance ring ring hello who is this fragile male ego one moment please a preferred song theme of his seems to be these elaborate revenge fantasies whether xenophobic and wrapped in an american flag or just susan from seventh grade biology who probably turned him down because he's an angry aggressive toxic piece of horse dung it's susan's right toby and if you listen to that song, fucking, he stalked the fuck out of Susan in high school. Like he was abusive and creepy then. Yeah. Anyway, Toby Keith rant over. Not worth any more of my time. Give me wide open spaces. Goodbye, Earl. Any man of mine. And I'm perfectly happy. Women in country music are the future of that genre. And they've been fighting an uphill battle forever. So in the 1970s, Loretta Lynn wrote The Pill, which was an homage to birth control and caused an epic controversy. And the song was eventually banned from airwaves. This is a quote, quote, making country music is a better environment making, sorry, making country music a better environment for women, both artists and fans makes country music better as a whole, writes Amy McCarthy in the Dallas Observer. And these are the stories I want to hear because they are the most authentic. I want to hear a country song about how shaving your legs is a male construct, but damn, it feels nice when they're all smooth. And I want to hear the struggles of a lesbian growing up in rural Georgia, a la Amy Ray of the Indigo Girls, who published her own country album. I don't want a song written by a male country star that makes consent seem like a murky subject. I want Shania's, if you want to touch her, ask. 
I want to hear what we're doing to buck the system because maybe at the heart of it, that's my issue with country music. It's this idea that it's the good old days and nothing is wrong. All there is to do is drink beer and be American. So to the credit of country music as a whole, uh, recently there have there are some artists that uh, have set themselves apart from the crowd, daring the country music status quo, releasing songs about racism, gun violence, respecting women, LGBTQ plus rights. And it does seem like a growing movement and it's led by artists. Well, this is just a few because I don't really know the artists very well, but as I understand it, led by, led by artists like Casey Musgraves, Little Big Town, Marin Morris, et cetera. And I think it would be amazing if country music keeps pushing this, let's have a dialogue about things angle because it might finally redeem itself. Little Nas X, Billy Ray Cyrus. Thank you. Yes. L- little Nas X. Little Nas X. Little More nasty. Little Nas X. Little Nas X has come up in like five different conversations for me. And they've all, I think I have, I have used my thumb and typed out in the text that I love that new feller, that, that little Nas X in whatever, whatever the conversation is about, whether it's country music, hip hop, rap, it's just like, I want to give him such a good attaboy. Like I support everything you do. Yeah, so young. Keep on twerking on Satan. Okay, so I am technically supposed to come on in defense of country music, but all of that being said, I want to say that I do agree with everything that Elena just said. In fact, there in in some of my research, uh, one of the the phrases that was referenced, I'd never heard it referred to as bro country before, but it's essentially write a cheap song and slap a black hat on it. And it's that country bro. It's the, Mm -hmm. I'm not Garth Brooks, but my shirt is buttoned all the way to the top button. And you can take me home and introduce me to your mother, but I sure'd like to t- check you for ticks. I know Brad Paisley is a little bit different sometimes, but not all the time. He tr- seems to try harder. And than you some. Know, right? Trying is appreciated, but I'm not going to talk too much about the modern boys. Disclaimer, my country music journey ended for the most part in 2002 when Courtesy of Toby Keith, Larry the Cable Guy, and a bevy of good old boys with a deadly sleeve allergy officially kicked the chicks out of country music and its cool kids club. I've been to a Toby Keith bar and grill more than once. I rode the bull inside. Yeah, you did. I did. And you know what? Mm. I'd do it again. It's fun as fuck. Um, I currently have exactly one Toby Keith song in my country gentleman's playlist entitled girth books for copyright reasons, (laughs) but rather than further dive into what I consider to be the end of an era of truly excellent country music, I would like to dive into its start. And for any of our listeners out there who suffer from historical narcolepsy, that is the inability to stay awake and alert when the topic shifts to anything that predates their own birth. I just want to say, hold on to your horses there, partner, to get a sneaky peek at the way back when you can actually take a look at a time not so far back when 2002, a year when the Grammys saw the premiere of Alicia Keys and India Ari, the return of Elton John and Michael Jackson, and second, most importantly, a truly masterful pop confection from the Backstreet Boys. And yet the Grammy award-winning album and single of the year went to a woeful warble from the mountains of Appalachia. I am a man of constant sorrow. I've seen trouble all my day. 
I bid farewell to old Kentucky, the place where I was born and raised. Oh, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou is my favorite Coen Brothers film for many reasons. And you can fight me on that, but that's my opinion. And I am entitled to it, damn it. It's fucking hilarious. It features surprise performances from John Goodman and Stephen Root, who are two of my favorite screen humans. And most importantly, when the film was released in 2001, it featured a 19-song soundtrack that in the midst of the height of Faith Hill Shania Twain mania and on the heels of Garth Brooks' international tour, injected the Billboard charts with the songs and in some cases, the artists that predated the Nashville hit machine and the Grand Ole Opry. Here's looking at you, Ralph Stanley. We thought you was a toad. Do not seek the treasure. I so appreciate that. One day, Derek, you and me, that whole movie. We'll just do it life for life. <laughs> Can we watch my favorite, too? Is it Spice World? No, it's Raising Arizona. My like favorite Coen. My favorite, my favorite Coen Brothers. Okay. I did, uh, but if it is favorite film, it is Spice World. Yes, obviously. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Your only favorite, favorite Coen movie is The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. That actually is true. Thank you. Solid reference. Solid reference. Thank you. Andy Cohen? Don't worry about it. That was funny, both of you. I didn't understand what that was for a second. (laughs) Bravo. Watch what's happening. No, thanks. (laughs) If you were to throw a dart at the board of history and were aiming to pinpoint the birth of country music, that dart would land in the 1910s. The 1910s are the historical mark of the beginning of two definitive musical cultures, country and jazz. The blues earlier predates them both. Someday we'll go in through a whole musical chronology episode. We'll do that at another time. And then all of you PhD students can call us up and tell us how we're wrong. We value your feedback, kind of. Thank you. Look forward to that day. Anyway, the rural and urban counterparts of populations left to their own devices to grab a seat at the table of prosperity, country, and jazz. America was, at the time, the richest nation in the world. Teddy Roosevelt had set up the state's international relations and secured U.S. partnership or straight-up ownership of major trading ports. And Taft spiked federal federal support in the favor of huge companies of the robber barons, which then sold their goods worldwide. That's the money. Good news. We weren't heavily involved in the Great War in Europe. Bad news. Lynching campaigns and the expanded rise of the KKK with the release of the film The Birth of the Nation. Good news. Further industrialization offered more jobs in urban areas, and the expansion of public transportation created a booming suburban lifestyle. Bad news. With populations moving to the cities for jobs with major companies, local businesses lost foot traffic and began to wither. Rural life became all the more isolated and dependent on self-sufficiency and familial support. Out of that isolation and interdependence, The grit of the rural southern and mountain-dwelling folks were worried and compressed into a deep, complex, and thoroughly American culture. Enter Ralph Peer, New York producer. Ralph Peer was one of the early champions of the record industry. Are you sure it's not pronounced Ralph Peer? Like he's French, Ralph Pierre? No, like he's someone who pees. Like he's a peer. 
that was a not a great joke. <laughs> I don't know why you've been on such a urine kick lately. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that your Zoom name right now is Elena P. Four E's. And has been for our last three recording sessions. (laughs) Do you need help? Drink some cranberry juice. Okay. Enter Ralph Peer, New York producer. Ralph Peer was one of the early champions of the record industry. Through his producing companies, OK, literally how it's spelled. Stop it, really? Yeah. Wow. Is it just fine? Well, it's OK. For our... For our non-visual folks, it's O-K-E-H Records. And later, Victor Records. Now, you've probably seen that. It's, it's got the logo with the little record player and the terrier. Peer made a buck or two by recording vaudeville and early jazz musicians like Mamie Smith, who is the first Black vocal recording artist. Love to cover her in a future episode. Having made a profit selling jazz records to the growing population of Black city dwellers and suburbanites, Peer had a profitable epiphany. Quote, poor Southern whites have a distinctive way of music that we can market to them via records. Okay, great. (laughs) People have a lifestyle, I can sell it back to them. By 1927, the money train of popular country music left the station when Peer recorded a six-song session with Black American blues guitarist Leslie Riddle and the Carter family. Fun fact. Leslie Riddle would later have his own album produced by Peer entitled Step by Step, a distinctly distinct choice of title given the fact that the same year Riddle had lost a leg in an accident at a cement factory. More on Leslie Riddle in yet another future blues episode, but I'd be remiss not to give him his due shout out for the role he played in the birth of popular country music. He co-wrote a number of the Carter family's early hits and had a major influence on Maybell Carter's guitar playing style. And it's frankly too damn difficult to find any mention of him more frequently in the story of country music history. So Leslie Riddle, disabled black man, cornerstone of American country music. So every radio jockey that made dumbass racist jokes when Darius Rucker released a country album is not only just a regular racist type ignorant, but also ignorant of the history of the genre that they are employed to know about. Do better, you bunch of hair piles. So, the Carter family. Not Sean and Beyonce. (laughs) Not Nick and Aaron. A.P. Carter, his wife Sarah Carter, and his sister-in-law Maybell Carter were a genuine log cabin-dwelling Appalachian family of bluegrass singers from Mesa Springs, Virginia. AP was a quiet type who had grown up with body tremors that made rural labor difficult, writing nearly impossible, and schoolyard bullying all but inevitable. So like many young artists do, AP spent a lot of his childhood daydreaming, wandering around the mountain paths by himself, and making up little tunes and lyrics based on the hymns he heard in church. Fast forward to his adulthood, where he would routinely craft unique songs for his particularly musical family, who would harmonize together as a way of relaxing after a day's labor. With a goal of making a better life for the family than any of them could have previously imagined, AP loaded up the truck with the gals in tow and set up an audition with Ralph Peer in Bristol, Virginia, and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, the Bristol sessions were recorded. 
The band received $50 for each song recorded, plus a half a cent royalty on every copy sold of each song for which they had a registered copyright. 500,000 copies were sold of the Carter family's debut album, Just in the Nickety Nick of Time, offering a life preserver for the family to weather the storm to come. Out here, the hearts of men are failing, for these are latter days we know. The Great Depression now is spreading. God's words declared it would be so. I'm going where there's no depression to the lovely land that's free from care. I'll leave this world of toil and trouble. My home's in heaven. I'm going there. Greek. I know, right? It is the Great Depression. With that honky-tonk badonkadonk. They don't the have great- asses back then. <laughs> Nope, they didn't, Derek. Nope, they didn't. 36, 24, 24. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. I'm not body shaming. No, no. We're just talking about the reality of the lack of ham at at that time. Not a lot to eat. You got to eat to have an ass, guys. That's why Marie Antoinette's let them eat cake. What cake? So the Great Depression rocked the country and especially those who most identified with the sounds of country music in a time before she thinks my tractor sexy check you for ticks and redneck woman the carters had defined the genre with tunes that spoke honestly to the simplicity and harsh realities of rural living love loneliness life death and the struggle to make ends meet that's it you did what i couldn't do you figured out why i hate it you just, just gotta keep it simple, stupid. It's yes. it, it's inauthentic yeah. in the 21st century when you make $500 million and then you say that you're okay, go ahead. Yeah. The authenticity of their sound, the family ties, and their commitment to dressing in their Sunday best for each photo and performance made the Carters the definitive country music artists whose songs and legacy have had an impact on anyone looking to make a dime by strumming a six string alongside their old bird dog. When people say, I like real country music, their prop's talking about the Carter family. But let it be fucking known, as much as pining for the good old days is used as a weapon, especially within conservative raci- uh, racist, ha ha ha, I didn't mean to say that, but I meant to say that. Uh, as much as pining for the good Freudian old days- Freudian slip. I know. Good old days is used as a weapon, especially within conservative rural circles- The pillars of the good old days were decade after decade of a line of fabulous women sticking a big, fat, banjo calloused finger to the literal man. (laughs) The 2003 film Walk the Line delves into a latter part of the Carter family history, picking up with June Carter Cash and uh, the backlash that she received for her multiple marriages all the while literally holding together the drunken and drugged out yet highly celebrated walking violation that was Johnny Cash at the time. Pants wearing ran in the Carter family, beginning with the pre-women's liberation, I don't need to live with your toxic bullshit queen, Sarah Carter. On a superficial note, she smoked cigarettes and wore pants as early in the 19- as the 1930s when it was deemed unladylike. On a much more meaningful note, A.P. Carter 
had a temper and dedicated the majority of his time and attention to the musical hustle. Whereas Sarah, the voice of the group, had no desire to be famous. Sarah cited an untenable living environment when she filed for divorce from AP and moved a day's travel away to the other side of the mountain. Now she was coaxed into making a few more records records to support the whole family, but Sarah ultimately held final say about what she did or did not do, how much time she spent on the road, and despite years of AP asking her to come back, she chose her mental well-being independent of the marriage above all. Hard choices, hard times, authenticity, the legacy of the Carters, and the origins of country music. Living's supposed to kill you, but it shouldn't feel like dying. Loving's supposed to fill you, but it spills you like your wine. And all the paper people wondering about, wondering who made them, and who's going to cut them out. Sometimes there's a danger of choking on the parts. No one gave a warning to the breaking of your heart. Pick up all the pieces and go back to the start. Never losing, only using all your moving parts. Point of clarification, uh, as Elena dries the welling tears from her eyes. <laughs> I'm crying. God damn it. That last bit there was not a Carter family song. You got me. That was a song by Native American homosexual drag queen Trixie Mattel. <laughs> who is carrying the torch higher, brighter, and more proudly than a sea of black cowboy hats ever could. Who is from Alabama. Who is from, she's from Wisconsin. Same thing. <laughs> it's the country of the North. It is the country of the North. Wisconsin. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And if you take anything away from this episode, please take away the fact that all American country music was born out of hardship and made into something beautiful by laborers, strong women, disabled people, and people of color. Thank you again. Bye. That's not the end. I am so happy that you almost cried and seeing you almost crying made me almost cry. And I was like, it's fucking Trixie Mattel. I can't wait. I can't wait for the reveal. Gag, mama. There's a reveal. Uh, okay. I'm also so tickled. I'm so happy that you uh, mentioned Loretta Lynn's The Pill because I wrote and removed portions of that. The If anyone ever just like wants to say what the fuck on a cold rainy day and watch a movie, Coal Miner's Daughter in addition to being a landmark Sissy Spacek and Tommy Lee Jones performance landmark, I'll say the word twice. In addition to all of that makes you go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This woman is this, this girl is 12 years old and married and pregnant to how old is Tommy Lee Jones? Doesn't matter. He's Tommy Lee Jones. He's never, hasn't looked 40. He's perennially 70. He is quintessential Luke Bryan saying, Hey, little girl. Well, Thank you. Thank you for that. Derek, I want to thank you for letting us use you. Yeah. Do you have any, um, do you have any thoughts to add on why you do love country music? Because I, I was, I was serious when I said it earlier, I love that you do. And I honestly don't mind when you play it and sing it. Um, authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, yeah, I don't know. Your, you, your enjoyment of it is authentic. So I'm curious. You, you make boy. me you make me second guess my uh, appreciation <laughs> for country music. Um, Tell us more about how you were born in a cornfield <laughs> and grew up on these sounds. I was raised by cattle. 
Don't tell my mom well, and dad that. But but I think it's I don't know. I'm it's okay to second guess it because I actually I think the roots of what you love is more in the Johnny Cash and then probably more in the hard laborers women, you know, camp of country music. I mean, I, I grew up on country music just like I also grew up on like Frank Sinatra and and Dean Martin. Um for it's it's kind of like I don't I don't praise the good old days because I didn't like the good old days, but in the same the same fashion, it's also a very nostalgic thing for me. Like when I listen to country music, it kind of takes me back to more so more so the good times with my family, not necessarily the good old days in high school and drinking beer and things that are you know surrounding you know things that are involved with partying and and young young love and relationships and vehicles and bonfires and things like that for for me it's just going back to listening to country music you know some old kenny rogers the oak ridge boys like my mom had these records or um tapes playing and it was just like i grew up around that so that's what i when i think about those things or listen to country music it kind of takes me back to my childhood in a very nostalgic way yeah. I think there's something also too, because similarly, and Leah, correct me if I'm wrong, you you don't have any immediate Ohio farmers in your family, right? No, I don't. And there's no one in my family that likes country music either. So it is, it is kind of like if if they enjoyed it, I probably would have be in the same situation Derek is because we're from similar parts of small Ohio. Yeah. And, and that's like all people listen to where I'm from is like yeah, like nine out of ten radio stations were country music. You might yeah. have one rock station and I was the first person to start listening to rap and, and R and B and things like that, because I was introduced to it from kids in school. Derek have, knows, I'm sorry. Derek has so many, he knows every music genre and appreciates it. People say that, but he like really knows it. And like, has all, like he has all these songs memorized. He has all current pop and rap and hip hop memorized who's what's your favorite song to play at the gym right now Derek I don't know what is it Lenny? Ava Max Kings and Queens oh yeah yeah <laughs> which is just he's very eclectic very eclectic it's just Bon Jovi it's just recycled Bon Jovi I'll listen is. I'll listen to anything from like Louis Armstrong to uh Dua Lipa <laughs> Do the peep. I, <laughs> I do too. I do. And I, I very much um, feel and identify with that, Derek. I have as immediately as, as my dad um, and, and his family grew up on farms in Ohio. Um, and that was the, what did you do when you were done? Like working during the day in the fifties and sixties, you came in at night, there were four different channels on the television one of them usually brought up porter wagner or something like that so you'd listen to country music you would take in those specials so when we have like those nostalgia moments it's going back to not conway twitty that was my dad hates conway twitty um, which is a longer story there but there's a there's a family tie exactly that because if i think to my high school days that's ushers yeah that's my that's 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 my she thinks my tractor's sexy. There is yeah, a family like, tie, Alex P. Keaton. I think my my senior class song was um 
you shook me all night long from ACDC. So it, like, it wasn't. I'm you like, graduated in the 2000s. Yeah, I graduated in 09. I'm like, I don't, what, what is an ACDC song to one of my senior song? Like, you couldn't pick anything of this decade. That song is about common. I didn't do any of that when I was 18, that's for sure. <laughs> well, not with anyone else. Not with that strawberry <laughs> wine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. I think, I think, have we tapped it out? Anyone else have any further points to make on the country musics? Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on this podcast. Oh, thanks for being our second guest ever. Thanks, bud. I also do want to offer up, Elena, you, you offered up some, some youngins that the children can listen to today. And I do, I do highly recommend if you like the traditional uh, Carter style of country music, I do recommend Trixie Mattel's both two birds and one stone, two different albums, very short. Um, also the everybody fields and the Waylon Jennies, not Waylon Jennings, the Waylon Jennies. Okay. Audrey, this, the second lyric you had me read was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I like that. The one that I stumbled on the first sentence, cause I couldn't see it, but that was, uh, yeah, that that's was, the Carter's. That was, good, that was a good lyric. Yeah, they, I mean, at any time, the Bristol records, uh, I think it's only six songs that are on there. And most people recognize the Carters for Keep on the Sunny Side of Life. In fact, in the end of uh, Trixie Mattel's documentary, Moving Parts, he's just sitting, strumming on a guitar, singing Keep on the Sunny Side. So it was like a perfect full circle closeout. Do you think country music is kind of like a reiteration of the blues almost? Or like Very early, so. early country music? Very much so. This is why we need to do a deep hit, like deep dive is the blues really makes an appearance in the 1870s, looking at the uh, the reconstruction era. And then that's what dovetailed in the 1910s into jazz in one direction and country in the other. Um, but the basis for it all is in the blues. No, I was going to say, I, I like the direction that uh, I like the direction that female pop country went into. I don't like the direction of male pop country went into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, because female pop country seems to by and large go into a direction of how I feel and how I'm responding to things. And male is an observation of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that memes become memes because they're real. Yeah. <laughs> they're real life. That's why that thing is so funny. It's like men are like, I just want her to have my baby. She's so beautiful. But women are like, I am depressed because I had a child and now I have postpartum depression. Like (laughs) big difference. What you just said, you know, okay. So if you're familiar with art history and people referring to Ashcan artistry as slice of life portrayal, do you think memes are the new slice of life or memes the new Ashcan artistry? (laughs) Yes. Are we swapping out Pissarro for Dogecoin? (laughs) Yes. I hate this. All right. We'll end it then. Um, We will be back with you in two weeks with another new episode. But in the meantime, you can find us at ifthesewellspod at gmail.com, ifthesewellspod.com, and ifthesewellspod on the Insta. Audrey will spell it for you if you really need it. Um, You can also- I-F-T-H-E-S-E-W-A-L-L-S-P-O-D. I almost said like like it had a beat. And I don't have anything else to follow it up with. Can we do it again? No. I will have anything better. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes as that is uh, very helpful. And any closing thoughts, you two? 
Follow, follow me at at Gavorchik, G-A-V-O-R-C-I-K. I don't I don't post ever. He posts every day, every single day. But it is worth a follow just for the stories alone. I do have something to share with people. You guys, CVS has the Halloween Reese's out now. You can get the pumpkins and you can get bats. And now they have ghosts and they all look like little, little, little dehydrated poops. Thanks, Derek, for joining us. Thanks for your deep voice and your thoughts. Audrey. Y'all come back now, you hear? Goodbye. We'll be right back.